Hello, I'm Ricky Koopman. And I'm Danny Reid. And this is Don't Have a Jewett, a podcast from the City of Mount Gambier Library. This podcast delves into the stories of the Mount Gambier Library, from authors to innovation, programming to local history. We invite you to join in and learn about what we do here in the library and our place within the community. You may have heard the phrase, it's raining cats and dogs. But what about it literally raining rabbits? Well, at 3am on the morning of the last day of 1938, right here in Mount Gambier, it kind of did just that. But first, some background. During the 1930s, the rabbit industry was the largest employer of labour in Australia. And unlike other rural industries, the rabbit industry was at its busiest when times were tough. War, the depression, drought, the rabbit business flourished when traditional farming struggled. Rabbits were plentiful. It's estimated that there were as many as 10 billion of them infesting the countryside during the early parts of the 20th century. And to enter the rabbit game, farmers didn't need to spend money on erecting fences and stockyards or even outlaying money for feed. The rabbits were just everywhere, available to anyone that could trap them. Here in Mount Gambier, factories were sending 33 tonne of preserved rabbit per week to Britain, with rabbit exports reaching parity with lamb. Now, for this story, we need to head to the epicentre of the barrage of falling sky bunnies, one of the biggest cogs in the local rabbit industry wheel, the Borthwick and Sons Freezing Works on Margaret Street. It was just after 3am on New Year's Eve, a still, mild summer's night, when residents were awoken by an almighty explosion. Enormous, roaring flames erupting from the site of the frozen rabbit factory, painting the night sky with streaks of amber and clouds of dust and smoke. Locals said at first they feared it was an earthquake, after being awoken by the ferociousness of the noise and the shaking of nearby buildings. Newspapers reported the entire town felt the shock of the blast. The sheer force of the explosion violently hurled twisted and mangled sheets of roofing iron and debris from stone walls, each 18 inches thick in a radius that stretched for hundreds of metres. And in the strangest and most random of spectacles, the blast catapulted crates of frozen rabbits into the sky, shooting them high up into the air for them to come raining down on the streets below. As day broke, the scale of the destruction revealed itself as staff and onlookers joined the police and fire crews who had been working in the darkness to contain the blaze. A team of men were also engaged to search for and collect the rapidly thawing and charred rabbits from rooftops and yards of the surrounding properties before they began to cook in the scorching summer sun. Miraculously, there was not a single human fatality or injury from the explosion. 
At first it was thought the explosions were due to the bursting of gas pipes. However, a review of the most recent company audits confirmed the entire plant had been in perfect working order before the blast. Investigators asked local quarrymen, knowledgeable in the art of explosions, for their opinions. And it was unanimously agreed that the extensive damage was caused by gelignite. More than 20 kilograms of gelignite to be exact. The heavy explosive had been placed in selected parts of the freezing chambers to inflict the most damage to the facility on the cusp of their busiest time of year. Amongst the twisted metal and crumbling stone walls, the police found a padlock with a key still in it, discarded on the floor of the main freezing chamber, a key that was routinely hidden and its location only known by a few employees. Police interviews with Borthwick staff confirmed that the key was in its usual spot at the close of business the previous afternoon. Borthwick's immediately offered a £50 reward, or about $5,000 in today's money, for information, and by the 3rd of January, police were on their way to Port Macdonnell to arrest the first of two very well-known Mount Gambier men on the charge of using explosives with the intent to destroy a building. Lawrence Henry Bulling a 43-year-old rabbit buyer, was the first to be arrested. A former Borthwick's employee himself, in their Queensland office, Bulling had worked for the company for 12 years until they temporarily went out of business. Bulling was an office clerk and he was one of the many workers who lost their job at this time. And it was said that he held quite a grudge against the company for many, many years afterwards, claiming that he was a loyal employee unfairly treated. A decade later, after moving back to Mount Gambier, Bulling was employed by his brother-in-law as a rabbit buyer for a company that was in direct opposition to Borthwick's and that was actually situated right next door to the Margaret Street factory. Bulling's brother-in-law, Ernest Victor Gerloff, was the second person arrested. The case against Bulling was open and shut, thanks to physical evidence and, soon enough, Bulling's own admission. The police also had Gerloff, who happily testified against his brother-in-law while attempting to clear his own name. Gerloff told police that Bulling had declared that Borthwick's ought to be blown sky-high and the best time to do it would be over the weekend. While Gerloff said it was Bulling who placed the explosives, at the site and who lit the fuse. Police allege it was Gerloff who supplied the comprehensive site plan of the Borthwick's works, including details on how to gain entry into the building and where to purchase gelignite, a claim in which Gerloff flatly denied. Newspapers from across the country reported the case when it returned to court in April of 1939. Bulling confessed... Just before 3am on the morning of the 31st of December, he parked his lorry near the Blue Lake, walked down to Borthwick's and jumped the fence. After placing the explosives and lighting the fuse, he simply turned around and began to walk back to his vehicle and was just near the hospital when the first explosion occurred. 
Ten minutes later, a second blast cut through the still night air. At his camp at Port Douglas, Bulling showed officers where he had buried in the sand another coil of fuse and a box containing a further 98 detonators. The charges against Gerloff were ultimately dismissed on the grounds of insufficient evidence and testimony from Borthwicks themselves, who said Gerloff had always been a good man and a helpful business neighbour. Police said Bulling's mind, however, was poisoned against Borthwicks and a psychologist concluded Bulling was not insane but not really far off it. Justice Angus Parsons of the Mount Gambier Circuit Court added Bulling was a danger to society. Facing a maximum penalty of 14 years imprisonment, the judge reviewed the character references offered by former colleagues and associates and all of which labelled him a model husband and father, albeit one with an intense grudge against his former employer. In the end, Bulling was sentenced to four years imprisonment with hard labour. Lawrence Bulling and his wife Thelma remained in Mount Gambier following his early release from prison in 1941. Moving on from the rabbit buying industry, the Bullings purchased a fruit and confectionery store in Commercial Street in 1950. However, Bulling didn't stay completely out of trouble. In 1952, newspapers reported he breached the Potato Marketing Act by failing to disclose who he purchased one tonne of potatoes from. And he was fined £20. If you are interested in learning any more about the Borthwick's explosion, here at the Mount Gambier Library, we actually have photographs taken the morning after the event, which you can view by simply getting online to the Mount Gambier Library website and typing Borthwick's into the search bar, and you'll be able to have a look. This has been Don't Overdo It, a podcast from the City of Mount Gambier Library. Thank you.